Father, we come before you and ask you just to bless this time as we look to your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we, as we look at this psalm and the history of Israel that's reported in this psalm. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 78, very long psalm, not as long as Psalm 119, but pretty long. Verse 1, just to give us our context. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which you have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from your children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them even as the children which should be born, who should arise and declare to their children, that they might set their hope in their in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that set not their hearts aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan he divided the sea and caused them to pass through he made the waters to stand up stand as a heap in the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them to drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. They sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore God heard this, and he was wroth, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God, and trusted not in his salvation. Though he commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food, and he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow from heaven, and by the power he brought up in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like unto the sand of the seas. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their inhabitations. So they did eat, and were filled, and he gave them their own desires, and they were not estranged from their lust. But while the meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them, and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. And for all this they sinned still, and believed not in for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned, and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and their high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless did they flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time did he... Many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, the wind that passes away and comes not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? 
Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand nor the day when, when he delivered them from the enemy, how he had brought his, in, his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them and devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. And he gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and to the labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way for to his anger. He spared not their soul from death but gave their life over to pestilence. He smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, yet made his own people to go forth like sheep, guided out them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of the sanctuary, even to this mountain which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them an inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High, and kept not his testimony, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger in their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle in Silo, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. The priest, the priest fell by the, by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked out as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouts by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts and he put them into a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah the, and Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high places, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. How would you like to be singing that song in church? It's probably too slow, <laughs> But this was this was a song. This was one that they would have sung in church. It gave it their history, and this is where we've been going on. And we're going to start at thirty-nine, where we left off last. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and cometh not again. God re always remembers that by his standards, we're really nothing. You know, our life is nothing. Our days are nothing as far as God's concerned. It is over in an instant. And when you think about this, from God's perspective of eternity, even if we manage to live like Methuselah, live to be a thousand years old, in God's perspective, we're still just a breath of wind. And we see this in reality, and as you get older, the years go by faster and faster because yes. each year represents a smaller portion of your entire life. When you're five years old, a year represents one-fifth of your life. Mm -hmm. When you're 50, 
It represents a 50th of your entire lifetime to look at. And I'm beginning to notice how fast the years go by. Can't imagine what it's like for Annie or, or Loretta, you know, you know. But it seems like just like this year just started and we're already a quarter of the way through the year and it's been three years since I came to this church and it doesn't seem like it's been that long. And God says, he remembers, man is but a wind. Just a quick breath. They come and they go. And when you think about this, any, you look at somebody who's famous even, and there's only a few things you remember out of any person's life who's famous. You know, go back to our founding fathers and try to think of, you know, how much do we rem remember about George Washington? And he's very famous for our country. And yet most people can only come up with a handful of things that he did. You know, and the more you know history, the more you might know. But still, out of his entire life, we pick three or four, five, six events to remember. Same thing in our scriptures when we read it. You know, look at somebody like Abraham. Very important to the founding of the, the Jewish people. And yet there's like six stories out of his entire life that make it to the word. Okay, And that represents years of his life. We think of somebody like Joseph. We have a lot about his life, kind of. His father promoted him. His brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. He was promoted in Potiphar's house. He was accused of rape, went to prison, and then was promoted. And then we have the blessing of his kids. Six events out of his whole life are recorded in scripture because they're key. Now we know a lot about Jesus because Jesus is the key focus, but then we look at somebody even like Paul. Paul, one of the major characters of the, of the New Testament. We have the book of Acts, which is mostly about his life, but still it's only eight or nine vignettes out of his life. And that's all we know other than what he writes about himself here and there. So when you say Joseph, immediately people usually don't think of the Joseph you're talking about, the Old Testament, you think of Joseph and Mary. I don't. I always think of Joseph. I, I never think of Joseph, the, father, the, the stepfather of uh, Jesus. I'm not Catholic. I don't think about him. Yeah. So. You never heard of Joseph in the Old Testament? I have. Yeah. Now, but I didn't before. Oh, okay. So. We'll forgive you. But God remember. God sees that we that we have a short life. There's another verse that says that our life is like grass that withers. They cut it and throw it in the oven. So really, like, in our life now, is we would not even have a speck in the book in a way. Probably not. Most of us haven't done anything important enough to be remembered for all of, you know. But in eternity, when we're walking and letting God live through us, we have a record in eternity for everything that we've let God do. Nothing like what's in the Bible. But we don't, again, we want to be careful when we say that because we don't know what we're doing in the spiritual world mm -hmm. of well, note. Sure, it's not like that me, I know for sure. You never know. Yeah. This is why I said even this morning, we all in this church have a portion in whatever's done on the internet because we support the internet and we would be surprised what impact we have. The person who led Billy Graham to the Lord is said to have never led anybody else to the Lord, but he gets credit for everything that Billy Graham's done because he was, did his job. He did what he was told to do. Now, 
God doesn't judge us by the same standards we judge ourselves. He judges us how well do we use what he's given us. But I always think the people in the Bible are so much higher than me because of what they have done and the scriptures in the In Hebrews it tells in Hebrews it tells us they are just like us. They let God use them and God bless them. And we like I say we need to be very careful because there are times when we're, we're gonna see in heaven that we did more things by letting God work through us than we are fully aware of. I will guarantee that you've got some things going in heaven because you give out these bulletins and, and talk about Jesus. You're making impact on people you don't even realize that you're making impact on. And this is one of, like I've said, one of my favorite songs is the song Thank You where the guy goes to heaven and all these people come up and they're actually, he's talking about his pastor, but you know, but he's being thanked for all the little things that he has done in his lifetime. The little bit he gives and you know, when, we, when we give to Lottie Moon, we give to Annie Armstrong, and, those, and that money goes to a missionary to touch a life someplace. We have part in that life being touched. And if that's all that God has asked us to do, that's a great blessing. But God is going to reward us for the times we let him work in us. And as a matter of fact, that's all we're going to get rewarded for, because if I do it in my flesh, it's not going to stand before God. It might have been something really great as far as the world's concerned, but it doesn't stand because I tried to do it in my flesh and it wasn't God working through me. Verse 40, how often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Mm. You know, grieve is to cause pain. Yeah, and we think about you know, the book of Exodus, the book of uh, Numbers, not so much Leviticus because that's the rules for the priesthood, and the book of Deuteronomy. How often did they provoke him? Over and over and over. You know, they, they had not even left Egypt hardly, and they got to the Red Sea just a day's journey away, and they're griping, God, you brought us out here so you could kill us because there weren't enough graves in, in, in uh, Egypt for us. And God delivers them. You know, delivers them, runs them through the Red Sea. They get, as soon as they cross the Red Sea, they find out they don't have any water. And again, they're going, God, you brought us out here so you could kill us. God gives them water. Uh, they go a little further and they're complaining that they're hungry, they don't have enough food, he gives them manna. You know, all these things that God did over and over and over again for people and God forgave them. He didn't hold it against them. And it says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And this idea of limited, they, they caused him pain. They, they kept you know, every time they turn around, God isn't strong enough. <laughs> God has just gone through and wiped out Egypt, but he's not strong enough to give us food. He's not strong enough to give us water. He's not strong enough to deliver us from our enemies. He's not strong enough to lead us into the promised land. They get to the promised land, which this one doesn't talk, this chapter doesn't talk about, but he's not good at, strong enough to deliver us from our enemies in there because they're giants. They look, you know, they look big to us all the time. But you know, this is something we can't be too harsh on, on the Israelites because we do the same thing. Yes, we do. Every time we see a problem in our life, well, not every time, but often when we see a problem in our life, we gripe to God. You know, God, what did you do this for? How come, how come I'm facing this problem? Uh, you know, God, you know, I just don't see how this is going to work itself out. And God is saying, I'm in control. Every one of these tests that they faced was a test on, do you have enough trust that God would deliver. Now I think they probably had tests that they passed and didn't show, you know, didn't tell us because I think the purpose of this was to show us 
how many times God delivered them. But we need to be careful in, in our own life. It's so easy for us to just look and say, nope, God, you can't, it's not gonna work. You're, you just can't do it. And we've all been there at some time when we think our problem is just so big that we're gonna be overwhelmed. That's like me when I broke my leg. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why God, you let me break my leg, was it? Then I realized, hey, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> it might not have been. It may or may not have been. God, God had some reason, and he'll show you later on what it was oh, all God, about. I think it was me. But God always throws things at us to say, the most important thing when we get a test is, are we going to trust God? Am I going to sit back and say, God, you've got a reason for this? And as I say, one of, my, one of the verses I love is Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And again, I, the thing I want to always point out is it doesn't say that it, all things work together for my good. It says all things work together for God. good. Whatever God has in store, it is for good. My pain may not be for my good, and I should, if I'm not going to rejoice in my pain, I'm going to say, God, you have, you've got some kind of plan. It's going to be for good. And it may be just that I'm steadfast through the pain and others look and get motivated and built up by me walking steadfastly through it in the power of God. And they look at my life and say, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, they look at you, especially if it's really hard, really, really hard, and they look and go, all I have, all I've got is this little problem. Look what they're being faithful on. That is great good in the kingdom of God. Now, we may not think it's great that we suffered. And if, we, if, we're, if we're really happy that we're suffering, we've got other problems to have to deal with. But I need to learn to be content. In my pain, in my suffering, not gripe, not complain to everybody. Because number one, most people don't care. They don't care what you're suffering through. You know. They don't want to hear you complain. They want to see you praising God mm -hmm. that he is faithful. He's and this us. is where it's important for us. We keep serving God. We keep going forward. People look at us and say, wow, you know, I, I'm glad I'm not going through that. Uh, I commented to somebody the other day and, uh, you know, that I am glad that God has not put me through great suffering. And they go, well, you've had lots of great suffering. You just don't see it that way. And I'm going, okay, if you say so. <laughs> because even with them saying, I still don't believe that I've suffered greatly, but it is partially the attitude. When bad things happen, how do we respond? It, and just like we said the other day, discontentment will destroy your contentment. Everything that God does good, if you're focused on all the things that are, you think are going wrong in your life, will destroy your, your look at everything else that's going on in your life. God can be doing great things in your life and you could be looking nothing at but, but the bad and you're going to miss the good. Mm -hmm. And we've all been there ourselves or know somebody who's there that all they do is they complain about all the bad and they never see what God is doing in their life. And we see this in the, in the Israeli people here. God, is God has destroyed Egypt completely with the ten plagues. He destroyed their economy. He destroyed their leadership. He destroys their army. And all the people of Israel can concentrate on is, we don't have water. We don't have food. We, you know, God's got us wandering around in this desert. It seems like we don't know where we're going. And we don't have any leeks and cucumbers. 
cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're looking at all the bad stuff, and you know, and God is giving them everything they need. He's giving them manna every day. He gives them the water they need. He's destroyed their enemy in the in the in the Red Sea, and all they're concentrated on is, we don't have this, we don't have that. Their contentment is wiped out by their discontent. And we want to be careful that we don't do that with God. If we're looking for his, for his good, he's doing good. One of my favorite songs we sing is Count Your Blessings. You know, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. We start looking at the good. We start looking at what he's doing for us. And it's not positive thinking. It's not the world's positive thinking. But it does have a truth in it. When we're looking at what God is doing, we're not concentrating on all the bad that happens to us. And we go, okay, God, you're, you're, you're blessing greatly. You're doing great things. You're, you're, you're touching me. You're, you're giving me blessings. And if nothing else, even if everything is bad, if everything in your life is going wrong and you know, you're Job, mm -hmm. you still look to God and say, God, you're teaching me something. You're going to use this. Yeah. You're going to use this. Job becomes a great example to the world forever on what happens when evil and bad things seem to happen for no reason. Especially when you're doing good. Especially when you're doing good. Yeah, I was going to say, for no reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Job is that great example of God challenged Satan to try to get Job to, to curse him. And it was pretty, pretty intense. I think and when things are doing good for me or whatever, I don't want to do anything bad because I like keeping doing good. <laughs> so I said, I just got to keep doing good. I don't want to fall back on steps, you know. Yeah. But always remember that everything that comes our way is a test to see, do you believe what you believe and are you going to trust God? Yes. All of it. And he promises us that we will have trials. But be of good cheer. <laughs> Be of good cheer when you encounter diverse trials. Not if you encounter diverse trials, but when you di encounter diverse trials. Because we have God who's going to test us to see if we're going to be honest. We have Satan who's trying to try us and get us to do wrong. And yeah, we do a pretty good job of ourselves with our own desires and sin nature <laughs> that wants to tempt us to be disobedient. So we've got a whole lot of things that are going to have bad things happen to us. And a lot of them we bring on ourselves by not having our flesh crucified and our lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is inside us, brings us into sin. So we've got all these problems that we bring on ourselves. We've got God allowing tests to come our way to say, are you going to be true to him? And then we've got Satan coming along trying to actually trip us up. And God is using him as well in that process. And then if he does trip us up, Satan, God says, repent and, re and come back to me and I'll lift you back up. This is the great news. God will always lift us back up. Yeah, I'm not correct. The other day I told someone, well, the devil knows every word in this Bible. Oh, yeah. So this is why he's so deceivable because he can take something and turn it around to mean something different. 
Am I wrong in telling him that? No. Because I know Sa he knows. Satan understands this word better than we do. Yes. I never thought of it that way. And he knows his end, which yes. is why he's so dangerous. He's been defeated at the cross. He knows that his final defeat is coming soon. He doesn't know, he doesn't know exactly when. But he is the animal backed into a corner, the vicious animal backed into the corner that fights for its life, or just like we as humans do, we'll fight, you know, if we're totally feared, afraid of losing our life, we will fight mm -hmm. tooth and nail to try to get out of that situation. That's where Satan's at. He's backed into a corner and he is fighting with everything he has. Not that he hopes to win, Satan's goal has always been with humanity to hurt God as much as possible by taking as many of his precious creation away from him. And because he knows God's word and he knows how and to he use does. it. And he knows how to use it. He knows, he knows how to twist it. He knows how to... I never and, thought of that way. And I have been very surprised as I'm learning more about some of these religious groups because I deal with the prisoners in different religions, how many of them are based within... Their diets are based within the in the Old Testament. Satan is using God's word in a way that is tr is trying to get people to think they're following God without bringing in the whole word of God. He's a liar. He's a liar, and he wants to cause confusion. He wants to cause problems. And so, and we've got to remember, Jesus said that when Satan lies, he's speaking his native tongue. He is a liar from the beginning. He has always lied, always will lie, and he is a good liar. He mixes just enough truth to draw people in, and this is why all these religious, uh, false religions work. He has enough truth from God's word and, 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 and scriptures and principles to make it sound good. You know, the flesh wants to do work, so he goes, Every religion, every religion out there is based on works. Do more good than bad, and you're going to be okay with the deity. That is what they all boil down to. Christianity is the only religion out there that says you can't do anything good. You can't do it. Every other religion and cult out there is all based upon do good works. <laughs> And you must do more good than bad, or, or forget it. You're in trouble. Or, or as you're, if you're in Buddhism or, or any of the Zen philosophies, you get to keep being reincarnated until you finally get it right. We never get it right, so you're locked into a cycle of always, always trying to trying to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've got to be careful. There's so much lying in this in the God, in, that Satan does. And we need to, this is why we've got to know the truth. This is why we've got to read the Bible every day. This is why we need to listen to good Bible teachers and get to know God's word. And believe me, we all need to be taught. I spend a lot of time listening to other preachers because I want to get different, different viewpoints in it. I don't want to get stuck in what I think is true and not be challenged in what I believe. Now, sometimes these scripture, these teachers aren't correct, but that's fine because now I get to use my discernment and say, okay, God, that doesn't sound correct. I look in the scriptures, find out it's not. But other places, they, they challenge what I believe that may not be correct or be, need to be fine-tuned or, or honed to a deeper edge. 
And this is what the scriptures are all about. The Bible is full. It starts out in the Old Testament with a very unclear picture of Jesus and works itself out to a more and more in-depth picture. This is how we learn. A child does not understand everything there is to know about the scriptures. We all start out as children. And we all start out in a low level of knowledge. When we got saved, we didn't know everything there was to know about salvation. We knew that we were a sinner, and we deserved hell, and Jesus died for us. We knew the basic gospel. And I've all shared with you, there's a set of books out there that it's, it's like 10 or 12 volumes, you know, 50 or 60,000 words on salvation. <laughs> okay, more about salvation than you'd ever want to know is in these books. And I don't have any desire to go into it. But I spent almost a year going through the 52, the 52 things that happened to you at the moment of salvation. Okay, why? Because I want people to understand what happens at salvation. We just know we become a new creation. That's what we know when we get saved. And many people will go blissfully on that, with that's all they ever want to know about salvation. And that's fine also, as long as you're learning something else about God. You know, it's important that God will show us what do we need to learn about him. We'll spend our entire life trying to learn about him and still barely scratch the surface of this book. And that's, you know, spending 80, 90 years in this book, you'll still just barely scratch the surface of what's in this book. And no matter how deep you study it, there's more there. I've been studying it 50, 50, uh, 44 years now, and it's still fresh. It's still new. I've still barely scratched the surface, and I know more than most people do about a lot of it, and I still have only barely scratched the surface of what's there. There's always something new. And that's the fun thing. It's been said that you could preach the same verse for your entire life and God will show you something new. Now, I'm not going to try that. That seems a little hard for me to believe, but I can under also understand this is his word. Yeah. We could teach something like John 3.16 for years and still not draw everything out of that verse that everybody knows by heart. You know, because it's so deep and so full and you bring other things into it and you see the love of God. And we want to be able to get deep into his word. And this is why my whole plan is to go through the whole Bible. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through the whole Bible, and then we'll start all over again uh, if I'm still here. <laughs> you know, it's taken us three years to get through 78, uh, 78 chapters in, in, in Psalms, but uh, we're, we're halfway there, so it might be six years <laughs> just to get through this one book. But I'm not in, in a hurry because I want us to get to know God's Word. It's more important to me that we know his word than I make it through the whole Bible. But my goal is to make it through the whole Bible. Why do I want to teach the whole Bible? Because I want the whole counsel of God bringing out, being brought out. I don't want to get stuck on my favorite verses or my favorite topics. I want us to understand all of God's word and all, even, what, even those ones that are hard to, hard to accept or hard to understand, I want us to be looking at them and not just falling into a few chosen verses and chapters that I like. So our goal is to make it through the whole book and then start all over. And then if guys, if God tarries long enough, we'll start all over a third time. <laughs> you know, I just want to keep going through and challenging us to read the Bible every year. 
And those of you who are now on your third time through the Bible probably are noticing just that. You're finding more out each time you read. And the wonderful thing when you start reading what's called the minor prophets, Annie was talking about why are they called minor prophets? Well, you know, there's nothing minor about the minor prophets. Those, those little tiny prophet books that we hardly ever read unless we're purposing to read through the Bible are so full of prophecies of Jesus, so full of end days prophecies, and they're called minor prophets. And the average Christian has never even read Habakkuk, Nahum, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. They didn't even know they're there. And you, but you read, these, you read these wonderful books and you say, wow, look at all that information in there and the, and the power of the, what God shows them. And we're way off of it, Psalms, but that's okay. <laughs> but, but we see the power of his word and the power of his truth. We see the prophecies. And we want to really be, understand the prophecies in God's word is the real proof that it's God's word. No book anywhere has the clear prophecies that the Bible has. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The children of Bethlehem would be killed because of him. He would move to Nazareth, uh, Egypt. He would move to Nazareth. He would be called a Nazarene. He would be, he would be beat. He would die on a cross. He would be resurrected. You know, he'd be born of a virgin. You know, how much clearer do you want your, verse, your, your prophecies to be? You know, read, read, the word, read, read the world's prophecies. You know, uh, somewhere, sometime, maybe, <laughs> this will happen. And it's so vague that almost anything could fulfill it. And God says, no, here's my prophecies. Cyrus is named as the person who would return Egypt, uh, Israel back to their land by name 150 years before he lives. Before his country, that he, the empire that he rules, is even known as an empire. It's just a small town in the middle of, a, of another empire. And Cyrus is being named as the leader of this little town that's not even an empire yet, sending them back. Jeremiah says that the children of Israel will go into captivity to Babylon for 70 years and then go home. How specific do you want to be? You know, just when they went in captivity, you know when Cyrus sent them back. 70 years. Why 70 years? Because they had ignored the Sabbath year rest for the land for 490 years. And God says, you owe me 70 years of rest, so I'm going to make the land rest. For 70 years and sends them into captivity for 70 years so their land would rest because they disobeyed him the prophecies the accuracy of the prophecies are so tight when God in Revelation says that there will be seven years of tribulation you know and the second half is going to be worse than the first and he goes it's going to be three and a half years and if that's not enough he tells you it's going to be 42 months and if that's not enough he gives you the days which i don't remember off the top of my head but he tells you this many days <laughs> okay how many times do we want to know three, three and a half years <laughs> how many different ways is he going to tell us three and a half years how many ways is he going to tell us it's going to be for seven years of tribulation that we're that we're going to face his wrath on this world and we as Christians won't face it because we'll be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. 
wonderful time of, for us, his bride, in heaven celebrating. And then we get to come back as part of his victorious army. Yeah. The greatness of what he's got, and that's yet to come. And yet, Revelation is all full of all the prophecies that are starting to come, come true. And if not true, we see how they can become true. It's amazing, just a few years ago, you know, a couple decades ago, how we couldn't understand that there would be a mark that you couldn't buy or sell without this mark. Now we fully understand how computer chips run our life and how, our, how all of our finances, finances are done by plastic anyway now, you know, for the most part. You know, older people still handle cash more than kids, but our kids and you know, your grandkids or, 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 or your children probably hardly handle cash. I hardly handle cash. I use the credit card, the debit card. The money is in the bank. I write a check once in a while. And I use the debit card for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we hardly handle plastic, uh, handle cash anymore. We're almost to a cashless society without the purpose of cash. And it's gone far away that they're just going to eliminate it for just that reason. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that it gets counterfeited, and that would be why they say they don't, they we're going to stop it. It's counterfeited all the time. We're being used, being, we are being taught to get used to. Mm -hmm. My new credit card. Mm -hmm. It's not a credit card. My new debit card. card. Oh, you don't want to use that one anymore. You want to use this? It has the chip in it. Mm -hmm. So did the driver's license when you get your new driver's license. But they're getting you used to the chip, the word. Yeah. But we don't need to fear that whole mentality because it is, number one, we're not going to be here. As Christians, we are not going to be here. We're going to be raptured. The world needs to worry about it. But it's going to seem logical to the world. But God said he's going to send a delusion to those so that it's going to make sense. It's going to make sense because he, if they reject him, it's going, he's going to send delusion their way because he's going to, you rejected. My people are gone. Can imagine what it's going to be like when millions of people just disappear from this world. And maybe not as many, you know, some churches will have lots of people still left in them because they're watering down the gospel message. I mean, that would be the scariest thing. People going, there's going to be people, well, it can't be the rapture. I'm still here. You know, well, sorry, you weren't a believer. And the scariest words in the scripture to me is when Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And you look at the list of things that they say. I cast out demons. I fed the poor. I, fed, I, I, I helped the widows. I went to the prisons. I did all these things that are supposed to be the epitome of religion. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We need to be, know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not hard to know. I mean, you know if you're born again. You know if you're saved or not saved. And if you're not absolutely sure, then you need to look at your life and say, am I? Am I a new creation? Do I know Jesus Christ? Am I growing spiritually? Not just becoming a better person, but growing spiritually and maturing spiritually. And it's not just a disciplined flesh. I know lots of people who have disciplined flesh. They're not going, they're not going to tell lies. They're not going to commit murder. And they're going to look really righteous. But I also know some people that are do that that aren't saved, that have, don't know Jesus at all. They're just rel being religious. And I can't tell you how many times over the years you'll find somebody in their 70s or 80s or 60s and they finally realize that they've never known Jesus. They may have gone to church their entire life and all of a sudden realize 
I don't know God. I've never known God. And they accept Christ. And one of the things that I've always said is, if you cannot look at your life and say something changed when you asked Christ into your heart, you better analyze, do you know him? Something needs to change because we are made a new creation. Something had better changed in your life. If nothing has changed, then you need to really consider, did I truly accept Christ as my savior? For me, I know a great change in my life was my temper was, was taken away and totally changed, and I had a big change. Now, I was not one that had multiple parts of my life changed. It always amazes me when somebody has their whole life changed when they, get, when they accept Christ. But you know, the danger of that type of salvation is also that you have no patience. They have no patience for those who need to learn slowly. Their attitude is, well, I got saved. I got saved and changed overnight. Why aren't you? Well, that's not God's my plan for my, for my life. I'm not you. Yeah, I'm not you. I, I need a two-by-four pounding me over the head to, make, to learn my lessons. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. And, and I have been that way, and I'm learning to respond quicker to God as I get older. But in my younger days, I, I needed to be hit over the head quite a few times, and it took months, if not years, to learn things. And, but God has changed, you know, changed then. But it is important for us. How soft and tender do we get toward God? As we grow with him, we should get to the place where we don't need to be pounded over the head with a two-by-four. And it's the same thing when, we're when our children are growing. You know, corporal discipline works really well for a young child. They do something wrong, immediate pain mm -hmm. that's not beating, not abuse, but the, the slap on their wrist and they're reaching out to touch that fire, the, the smack on their bottom to just let them know. And you know, if you do your job early on with kids, you usually don't ever have to, to go that route in their older days, you know, because they have been tempered, they have been disciplined. God does the same thing with us. When we're younger, it takes, it, we tend to need, younger in Christ, we need harsher discipline to get our attention because we haven't developed our senses to listen. The further along we get with God, if, we're, if we've been walking with him for 30, 40 years and he's still having to pound us over the head with a two by four all the time, we've got a problem. We haven't learned to listen. We haven't learned to discern his voice. But I hope you all have noticed it. The longer you walk with God, the more that whisper starts to catch hold of your attention and going, oh, I'm, I'm headed the wrong way. I need to turn, I need to turn this path. But God is always out there wanting us to grow. And his whole purpose is for us to grow. Yeah. And all the tests that he gives us is to help us grow and help prove what we know and what we don't know. Always remember when you're, when you're tested, when you're tried, it's not God trying to figure out where you're at. He knows where we're at. <laughs> He knows what we're going to do. He's basically trying to get us to not lie to, not lie to ourselves, Because we as humans love to lie to ourselves. I know this so well, nothing. I'm never going to step out and God says, okay, fine, here's your test. And we fall flat on our face and God goes, see, you weren't as, you weren't as developed, you weren't as sure of this as you thought you were. You know, so God is sending it out there and saying, do you truly believe what you believe? Because anything in the word is against what my flesh wants to go. Anything in the spiritual life is against my natural desires. And unless I let God crucify my natural desires, I'm going to go with my natural desire. 
And, God, and I may truly believe that I believe what I believe. And then God says, okay, here's your test. <laughs> and, go, and we fall flat on our face and go, wow, I didn't believe it after all. And usually we don't even come to that clear conclusion. Wow, what just tripped me? <laughs> you know, and we have a hard time, but when we fail, we need to look at our life and say, why did I fall? Why don't I believe what I thought I believed? And this is why God will throw multiple things in our, in our path to say, do you believe? Do you believe that all things work together? Do you believe that God's in control of all things? This is what he did to Job. Job, do you believe that I'm in control of all things? And Job failed, partially. You know, he did a lot of complaining to God. But you've got to understand, Job's theology was being challenged. We think that this theology of name it, claim it, you do good and you're going to be rewarded is new. Job thought that way. I do good, God's got to bless me because I'm doing good and it's wrong that if I suffer. His three friends or disciples came to him and said the same thing. Job, obviously you have sinned because you would not be going through all of this if you were not a big sinner. Obviously you've sinned. Why did they say that? Because Job believed it. You look at Job's answers in there and he's saying, I don't deserve this. I don't understand why this is happening to me because I have not sinned and I'm supposed to be being blessed. Job's theology was being challenged and a lot of times when we are in front of God being tested, our theology is being tested. We are thinking the wrong things and God's saying, here, let me show you. Let me teach you what the right theology is. In the pain that I'm going through with whatever these problems are, I feel it's a punishment. But God could also be saying, would you love me either way? Yeah. Will you love and trust me if it's punishment? Will you love and trust me if, if it's, it's not? just a trial? Yep, exactly. I... Everything that we go through is for that purpose. That is actually the question he's asking. Are you going to love and trust me if it's punishment or if I'm just testing to see if you're going to still love and trust me. All of it is boiled down to are we going to trust God? Are we going to say, God, you are everything. You know everything. You allow everything. You will not allow anything that's going to be bad. Now, again, it may hurt us and be good for somebody else, but that he's still using it to grow them. So I suffer, I go through pain, and it may be just so that others can see me stay focused on God and say, well, if he, can, if he or she can do that, so can I. And that may be the only reason we go through that. And the sad thing is that when we fail, we've, we've messed up that testimony to other people. We, we, they look at us, oh, they, they're just like me. You know, they have bad times and they, they give up on God. And we've got to be careful. Our life and our testimony is being looked at all the time. When we fail, God will still use that even though when we fail because he will lift us up, he will, he will put us back in, he will give us, he doesn't make us, the greatest thing about God is when we fail, he doesn't say, okay, you, you failed, you've got to go back to the beginning of the, of the bottom rung and start climbing all over again. Number one, it's not us climbing in the first place. He says, you fell from my gracious position, guess what? I'm bringing you right back to your gracious position. A person who is called 
by God to do something and they turn away from God and go their own way for a period of time but come back to God he puts them right back in that calling because his call is without repentance so if somebody is called to be a pastor and they go off and they do their own thing for five or six years then they come back God says my call is still on you my call is still on you they may reject it they may continue to reject it but God says because it was a gift of grace we need to understand grace because when God promotes somebody it's a gift of grace it's not anything that they did yes they were faithful yes they studied but it was still a gift of grace that allows them to do anything when we do anything for God it's a gift of grace unless I'm doing it in my flesh and then it's not even a rewarded item it's a gift of grace God allows me to be who I am in him by grace he allowed Paul to be the preacher that he was and the apostle that he was by grace and Paul recognized that his whole life he goes I'm the least of I'm the least of the apostles I don't deserve this I don't belong here I fought against him I tried to destroy him and yet he brings me to this place where I get to preach the gospel and teach people everything we get to do for God is a gift of grace and we've got to understand we are saved by grace not of works lest any man should boast nothing I do is going to please God it's flesh and anything I do in my flesh is going to be burnt up no matter how many, what I do in my flesh may be a blessing to somebody else and they get a reward from it, but if I'm doing it in my flesh, it may be great for other people, but it still burns up as far as service to God. Others may get blessed and get a reward from it because God's word being spoken is not going to return void, but I don't get the reward for it. If I'm trying to help people in my strength, I don't get reward for it. I'll be part of that group that says many in that day will will be told I don't know you yeah. it's, it's we walk in his spirit we walk in letting him work through us we let him crucify our flesh and let him work out of us and then we get blessings for things we don't even know we've done sometimes it's amazing when when you hear these testimonies uh, one last testimony we're going to end They're, my dad brought somebody to church one time and you know, the guy's going, well, you never know what you're going to see in church. He goes, well, he goes, I bet there won't be any line dancing in your church. <laughs> and line dancing had never happened in this church. <laughs> but this group got up to sing in the middle of the song. They broke out in a line dance. <laughs> you know, this person wanted to see something really bizarre. And look what God did. Okay. To reveal to him that he is God. Now, did that group up there do what was right or even good? Who knows? <laughs> but God put it in their place to do this. I've had people, there have been people who said, I need to hear this to know what God is saying. And it's something really bizarre. And they're talking to somebody. You might even be the person. You say, they don't know why I'm saying this. But you say it and they're going, that's what I told God I wanted to hear. To prove, prove his call. We don't know the little things we do. And we're back to the very beginning of, of our says. We don't know what little things we're doing that are very powerful in the kingdom and it may seem silly to us it may seem ridiculous to us 
We may not understand why we're saying it, but God knows. And we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven about the little things that we did in the spirit world that were part of his, part of his and we get a reward for. Mm -hmm. Even when we didn't know because it didn't seem like a big thing to us. Many battles in real life as well as spiritual hinge on just one little thing going right or one little thing going wrong to lose a battle. You know, something small. Your, your truck took a wrong turn and avoided the, avoided the landmine. You know, you, know it, you did something that wasn't what you were supposed to do and you got that protection from it. We don't know in the spirit world how we're, what we've done and what we haven't done until we get to heaven and God shows us. And he shows us, here's where you made a very good decision that protected you. Here's where the angels protected you. And we don't know how many times we've been protected, how many times that we've been covered. There's so many stories of missionaries where God has had angels literally being seen protecting them. Yes. I heard a story of these guys crossing through a gorilla-infested jungle to get to where, God, where they thought God wanted. The gorillas came to them and they go, where did you get those, that army of big guys with all the guns and stuff? And they go, what, we were traveling by ourselves. No, you had an army of big guys fully, you know, they saw the angels protecting them and didn't, didn't touch them. You know, we don't know what God is doing out there. And we want to be careful that we don't think that we've wasted our time or been greatly blessed. You know, many times people will look at pastors and prophets and, and evangelists and say, I want to be like them. They're touching lots of people. Well, you don't know whether you want to be like them. They may only be using 10% of the gifts that God's given them and, and not using 90%. Maybe you're using 80 or 90% of what God's given you. You don't feel like you're doing it, but you're using what God has given you. Remember, Jesus praised the woman that gave the two mites not even a penny and what did he say she has given more than all those rich people that gave out of their abundance because she gave all so always keep in mind we cannot compare ourselves to each other we cannot compare ourselves to other people are we being faithful with what God has called us to do always I'm I faithful to what God has called me to do. Not am I faithful to what God called Billy Graham to do. I'm not going to dare you know, compare myself to Billy Graham because I would be de you know, depressed if I tried to compare myself to him. God, I haven't heard that many people in the Lord and look how many people are in my church. You know. Well, I've got the people in my church that God has put in my church. Right. You all are the ones that I'm to preach to, not to the millions that are possibly out there, but who has God given us to preach to? and share with and to love and to give the gospel to most of us aren't going to be out there where we're going to have millions and billions of people that we talk to we have the handful that we have and God says you've done a good job with what you've had he's not going to compare us sitting here in chloride to other people that are, are working with hundreds and thousands of people because that's not our calling that's not what he's called us to do He's going to say, what did you do where you were at with what you had? Did you, were you faithful? Were you faithful in what I have told you to do? He has an individual plan for each one of us. And the plan he has for me isn't the plan he has for Lynn, isn't the plan he has for Loretta, isn't the plan he has for Amy. 
We all have a separate individual plan from God that we're to live under. And we're not to compare ourselves to others. All we do is we go to God and say, God, am I faithful with what you want me to be faithful with? And be able to stand on that. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time of just looking at your word. And Lord, help us always to be faithful in what you have called us to do, not what you've called others to do. And let us all be ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant enter into your reward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.